Welcome to Real World Theology Minisodes. On occasion, to cover some of the most important and most beloved films in history, we're going to record shorter episodes with just a few pointed questions in order to talk about the movies that we love. On this Real World Minisode, we'll be talking about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It was written and directed by George Lucas and stars Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Alec Guinness. So who will be bantering uh, with me today about A New Hope? Well, from the Story Men podcast, the Don't Split Up podcast, along with too many other podcasts to really name, J.R. Foresteros. Hey, J.R., how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Mikey. Very excited to talk about this film. Excellent. And uh, joining him is someone that I don't think I've had this combination of people on before, but from the Tectonic podcast and the Top Brew podcast, Joe Darnell. How are you doing, Joe? Doing great, Fizz. How are you? Doing great. Awesome. So because I want to kind of keep these a little bit shorter than the regular real world episodes, uh, I am going to ask a couple direct questions. We're just going to hop right in. So, Joe, what is one big idea you take away from this film? I think that Darth Vader said it really nicely that, you know, there's that point in the film where he is meeting with the Imperial executives on the Death Star. And he says, the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force. And <laughs> it's, it's sort of like your villain laying it out on the table for you. Hey, you know that big special effects shot we just saw a few moments ago? Yeah, that was nothing. Yeah, we just mil uh, murdered billions of people. You thought that that was interesting wizardry for cinema? Oh, that's nothing. What we've got here in store for you is spiritualism. You know, there is uh, something going on behind the scenes. There's something supernatural at work. And we're not exactly sure what side the supernatural force is on because the bad guy is able to use it to much greater effect than the good guys are up to that point in the film. So mm. it's rather exciting that in an era when most movie well, films back in the 70s were very cynical films with dystopian style stuff and it seemed like the, the bad guys were taking the limelight and good guys were aimless and you saw the effects of secularized humanism taking over Hollywood and movies were just rather entertaining but in sort of a, a dark, grim, harsh way. But this film came out of nowhere, introducing hopeful themes, kind of bringing back balance to the galaxy and filmmaking and so many other things <laughs> like heroism, people. You, you need <laughs> real world, old fashioned, swashbuckling heroism from knights and cowboys to reunite to take out the dark side or the evil will conquer the universe. So what are you going to let happen? So that, that, that's why this film just had a tremendous impact, as far as I can see. Mm. I think that's really great because it really uh, it, it comes alongside more or less the, the theme that I take away from it. Uh, you know, it gives us that great line, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And so many people get to use that for so many reasons. But I love the idea that in a world full of blasters and spaceships, there is this acknowledgement that there's something bigger. And it kind of defines good and bad. So it opens the realm, and we've talked about this before on uh, the Real World Theology podcast, about the difference between sci-fi and sci-fi fantasy and fantasy and you know, dystopian sci-fi. And you know, there, how there's so many genres. But this, this Star Wars sci-fi fantasy comes in and not only gives us what we want in a sci-fi movie. You know, like I said, it gives us the blasters. It gives us the spaceship. It gives us the empire, you know, the big guy, the little guy. But... It acknowledges this idea that there is something uh, 
in a world of technology that is like incorporeal, that st- that has more weight than the things that we can see or feel or touch. And I, I, lo- I love that idea, and I love that f- people just grab onto it. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, you could talk from a Christian perspective about how obviously they get this wrong and it's very, you know, this or that, but like this idea that like you have Han Solo on some kind of long conversion experience along with Luke's, like all these people coming into contact with something that's outside themselves. And they realize it's not just hokey religion and ancient weapons. Uh, you know, it's, it's something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so JR, uh, uh, where would you run with that? Or, or was there anything else that, uh, you, a big idea that you took away? Well, from yeah, the I mean the, the film's called a new hope, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's just it. It's, it's that, in the in the face of overwhelming evil, in the face of the seemingly insurmountable, invincible uh, force, all it takes is people stepping up and doing the right thing. You know, uh, from from Luke who can't wait to follow his dreams and get off of Tatooine, to Han Solo who's dragged kicking and screaming into the rebellion. Uh, you know, it's like every single person. It's it's all it's all of these people just doing what they know is right and standing up against what they know is wrong uh, that ultimately leads to the downfall of the rebellion, uh, which, which is a fun story, and I think that's why it's so universal. I would say, for me, one of the reasons I love this particular Star Wars film so much is that it's textbook hero's journey. When you're trying mm-hmm. to teach story, go to this film. It's got everything you need mm-hmm. uh, in order to teach that. And, and so being able to walk people through what a good story is and why, why a a well thought out story can overcome a lot of, I mean, I was just, I was just rewatching the film earlier today and it's so funny to try to go back and watch the film without the entire star Wars universe sitting in your, the back of your mind mm-hmm. because so many things just don't really like, it's so clear that this was the first film, right? Um, the way Obi-Wan reacts to Luke, uh, the yeah. way, the way that, that his aunt and uncle react, the way, uh, that Darth Vader interacts with Leia. I mean, there's so many things that, again, once you know the whole universe and the whole saga and how everything came together, it doesn't work. And there's, you know, you talk about like things that strain credulity about, you know, how quickly Luke trusts Obi-Wan and how yeah. how quickly they get off <laughs> Tatooine and how all of those things fit together. And yet, because the hero's journey is so clear for Luke, all of those things just work. Mm-hmm. And and they don't get in the way of the film. I mean, this is this is one of those films that, at best, people lovingly mock some of the problems with it. Um, but I, I don't like. I don't really know anyone who doesn't love this movie. You know, it's so gr- it's so great too because like when I'm, I'm I was watching it earlier today as well, and I'm like, oh man, you know, if we did, if we sat here and tried to mystery science theater three thousand this thing, like there, <laughs> it's it's ripe, right. With so many little, like, you know, Obi-Wan's just like, you got to learn the Force. He's like, what's the Force? He's like, it's this thing. And he's like, all right. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, it's as, it's as though there have not been Jedi in this universe for a thousand years. Yeah. Not like 20 or what, you know, whatever it is. Right. Uh, yeah. But those things just don't matter ultimately, you know, the way the film where it just, it, it, it's done so well. And it holds, especially on its own, like it just works so great. And speaking well, that, of that note, that notion that it works just so great on its own, this is actually George Lucas's best moment in the director's chair, like his only moment really that we want to think yeah. about <laughs> because he, he was responsible for leading this project, which no one else really in Hollywood or among his peers believed in. And I, I don't know if he was 
just insane. And, you know, maybe there are signs <laughs> of that from other parts of his <laughs> life. Evidence since. <laughs> yeah. But he, he wanted this movie to be made and he had a lot of confidence about it. I don't understand why, but this was movie magic. This was one of those moments where you think, did he just get lucky? And in another reality, there's like a worse version of this film that looked a little bit more like episode oh, one, two or you three. Know, um, it's not another reality. It's like the special edition. Yeah, yeah. which, yeah, unfortunately is what I have access to. No, I, I think a part of that is the uh, the really great debut album phenomenon. You know, you have a band that that works really hard for like 10 years. And over those 10 years, they end up with like an album's worth of really solid music. And then they have to write another album in like the next year. Right. And then it's just yeah, really quickly. Yeah. yeah. Just really. And that's, that's what it like. You can tell that this film, this story is something that Lucas like bore in his being for a long time by the time he finally got to tell it. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's not super surprising to me that, uh, after he tells this particular story, uh, he needs help for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully the wisdom of other people to realize that he needed help to, you know, tell it. <laughs> but that, so there, there is one thing that you said in their JR too, that was really interesting to me because <clears throat> you're pointing out how it looks like George Lucas had no idea kind of some of the dynamics that were going to come, especially with the prequels. But you're even pointing out how Obi-Wan so surprised at, you know, meeting Luke for the first time, kind of like who he is, even though he says, Hey Luke, even though they've not introduced themselves. Well, and the way they talk about his father, right? Yeah. It, like it, it, it right. technically works, but it, it, it doesn't seem as though the plan was for Darth Vader to be Luke's father. Certainly not for Leia to be Luke's sister. Mm -hmm. uh, again, they can fudge all of those things because they didn't technically, mm -hmm. uh, you know, say anything to the contrary, <laughs> but it, it just, it's strange credulity to think that they had all that planned out for this for, especially because, you know, this, this was the film that was essentially going to be uh, 20th century Fox's last film. They were, mm -hmm. they were expecting to go bankrupt after this. So they sort of just gave Lucas whatever he wanted. And I didn't know that. Oh yeah. And they weren't, they weren't planning to be able to make any more films. And then, and then it, of course, like blew up and became one of the most uh, successful <laughs> films ever. Saved 20th Century Fox, and then Lucas, of course, got to basically do whatever he wanted after that. Huh. Well, so despite despite not knowing, and I would also say this too, because <clears throat> I talked before we actually started recording about how any any Star Wars conversation with just a slight turn off the road can become a George Lucas like bashing session. <laughs> right. Um, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happen in the prequels. There's a, there's even some things that happen. Like I said, like you've already mentioned, Jared, like, Oh, you know, Luke and Leia are brother and sister. Did we know that before? Cause there's some evidence <laughs> that says maybe not, but for like all when the they made out, do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Multiple well, times. you know, uh, it's a it's a heavenly kiss. The force, no, a... the force didn't. He didn't feel that one in the force. <laughs> <laughs> well, she her force her force hadn't awakened yet. Mm, you know, I it's think very... something had awakened. <laughs> <laughs> so so for all the things that don't make sense, for all the things that people uh, criticize because you know George Lucas tried to change it or try to fit it into somewhere it obviously didn't fit years later. So rewatching a New Hope. There was this moment where I I don't want to say I got teary eyed, but like I got very sentimental because I mean it's probably because Alec Guinness is a, an amazing actor, but there's this point where he just met Luke and knowing what we know, 
we know that he knows who Luke is and he's got, uh, he probably hasn't seen Luke in a very, very long time. And it's like, oh man, this old world is coming back. Like my old life is coming back. And then when he sees the message from Leia, like, I, I don't know if he's like, like what's going on in like Obi-Wan's head. Like it, it just really right. hit me. Like, you know, I've been, he's like, I've been out of the game for decades. And all of a sudden this secret that I've helped hide is like laid bare in front of me. And I have tried, like I said, he's like, I've tried to be out of the world. I've tried to move on. And this, the biggest thing, it's not just like Luke showed up, Luke and Leia at the same time with very specific commands. And I just, like I said, I got really sentimental, like just imagining what it would be like being like an old man, having done all these incredible things, trying to live a quiet life, but you know, your life kind of catching up with you. Right, and he was saying as much. He said at that point that he was too old for these things. And it wasn't much uh, after that, not much time had passed before. Here he's riding the Millennium Falcon, and by way of the Force, he knows that millions of people just like cried out in terror and died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a strain that I guess he and Yoda alone shared, but we didn't know about Yoda yet. So, <laughs> Who's Yoda? What? I don't know what you're talking and, about. And there's something, there's something about the simplicity of this film – you know, in that sense, right? That we don't know what happened to the Jedi. We mm-hmm. don't know that there's these other ones. We don't know. Frankly, we don't really know a lot about the rules of the Force. Like they don't yeah. give us much in this movie uh, because really, it's about Luke and his journey to becoming the New Hope, right? Mm-hmm. So it and again, it just works. It works so well. Like if we had never had another Star Wars film, I think this would still be considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Right. What you're saying is, in spite of the fact that there's all these unanswered questions, right. it still works. Like, um, this movie shouldn't work as well as it does, considering mm-hmm. how many questions that we are left with. Well, that's, that's a very interesting part, because when you take this film, you don't see people making films like this anymore, because no. they always have to, they have to add something super complicated or a really crazy plot. Right? We gotta have yeah, you have to add, yeah, you have to add midichlorians. Like, this, like why? You, you you have a you, you didn't have to establish every single rule because those rules didn't matter. You have uh you have Luke Skywalker not not playing just the hero of the hero's journey, but he's like the everyman. You know he's nondescript. He is kind of moving from place to place, allowing us to learn more about this extended galaxy that's incredibly interesting that has lots of mythos, and it totally makes sense when he goes somewhere else and he's like, "What's this thing?" and someone's like, "Let me tell you what this thing is," and he goes somewhere else and he's like, "What's this thing?" and somebody's like, "Well, let me tell you what this thing is." You know, he doesn't know what's going on and we don't either, and we can kind of channel that through Luke. And it's this, like I said, we don't have to be. Everything doesn't have to be explained. the The plot doesn't have to be overly complicated. There's bad guys. They want to do bad things. And we need, like, we're in a bad place, and we need a new hope. And just like JR said, Luke Skywalker is that new hope. Ta-da. And we all can get on board with that, because we kept it simple, and we kept it fun. And we kept just that, that twinge, or tinge, maybe, of hopefulness um, that, that kept us coming back. Fringe? I want to say tinge, just like a little a little, a little speck, you know? A mite? It's not, it's a a uh, jot or a that? tittle? <laughs> I just want to pretend I Shakespeare a word. I don't think I did. I'll look it up. But while I do that, um, it's tinge. I'll, it's tinge. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome. It's like a color word. Like when there's a, it's a tinge of red. See, 
I'm I'm really smart. I've probably got tons of mini chlorines. I made that up. I'm really good at Baldur Dash. <laughs> All right, so I want to shift gears a little bit, and we're, we've kind of up to this point talked about what this like big themes of the film or how this movie has kind of impacted society or what what people at large can kind of grab onto it. But what I'd like to know from you guys is kind of like what has this film meant to you personally and, and when I asked that question like I said it, it could have been like uh how it changed your perspective on something <clears throat> like it could even include like your favorite part like something that just sticks with you and uh, like I said has has meant something to you personally so JR like, what about it what about this film um meant something to you personally or what so, ha- what impact has it had yeah so uh it, it's really affected for me how I talk about story uh, and mm-hmm. how I think about story, like as I as I try to write, uh, I just remember that Star Wars shows us that keeping things simple and straightforward doesn't mean they have to be dumb or uninteresting. Um, you can have a pretty straightforward hero's journey. You can have mm-hmm. characters that really aren't much more than archetypes with last names, yep. and and the story works and people engage, uh, and, and you can you can have a lot of fun on the canvas. Uh, even though there's a lot of structure there, uh, structure is not the enemy of story. So that, and then I think also, uh, particularly when it comes to engaging in fiction, uh, uh, I actually did a panel at a, at a uh, all con down here in Dallas a, a few months ago with a few friends on faith and science fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, Star Wars was the one that we cited where we say, you know, because there's this growing trend in sci-fi to go like hard hardline atheist where there's no mm-hmm. – uh, Mike, you talked about that in the Baylor panel we did last I like, year. I might know. Uh, yeah. might sound familiar. And uh, it's that same kind of thing, right, that there's just like this trend in science fiction towards uh, a, a religiosity. And Star Wars is like the example you can trot out and say sci-fi geeks don't mind religion. Right. Like, right. That's like, Joe, you were pointing out at the, at the core of the story is this like mystical force that is basically magic. Uh, and and when when we were given a scientific explanation for it, uh, it was roundly shouted down by the very people it was supposed to be for. Right. Mm-hmm. The the sci fi nerds were like, how dare you desecrate what you what, what this thing is, you know, and uh, they felt they felt very much like something holy had been uh, <laughs> secularized. Right. And uh, uh so, so that's in in that sense too. I think that that the Star Wars universe opens up space in uh, talking with people who are maybe uh, skeptic or agnostic uh, to to talk about faith and the idea that faith doesn't have to be contrary to science. Mm. Well, and it's really interesting that everyone is. I mean, as long as you don't call it uh, any one of the major world religions and you don't say it has a specific god with rules they're cool with like this idea that there's something else that we can't understand that's outside the realm of science you know i mean which is at least what it is until we can start measuring midichlorians um which most people i think would ignore and which is probably why they were outraged cuz like you can't measure this it's just a thing you know it's like inside us and uh, and that was the thing that they, you know, that Star Wars fans like got real mad at. You're like, stop trying to undo this beautiful thing that you've done. Um, uh, Joe, have at. Yeah, what you got? 
I'm thinking about what the movie meant to me and I think it has a lot to do with how it influenced my dad because he was a teenager when the movie came out and mm-hmm. my dad was the creative type. It kind of runs in the family. I'm a designer. We have a few cousins that are in marketing, commercials, television and the like. And there's musicians in the family as well. And no, though none of us got into you know show business or uh, films – This was a source of inspiration for the whole family because at a time when it just seems like uh, wars kind of wear us out, you know, it seems like uh, there's a lot of reasons for people to get depressed. The older you get, the more the weight of the world you have on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And the 70s were certainly a time where that was impacting a lot of Christians and that was an influence on a lot of uh, just conservatives in America in general. Well, everybody feeling depressed for God knows what reason. This kind of film – just uh, like y'all said, uh, it gives a, an idea of hope that everybody can grab onto, and it's not unique to the people who are religious. It's it's a universal, enjoyable experience. So, it, personally, I just enjoyed watching how this kind of film impla- impacted my dad, and that was uh, something that kind of drove me in my uh, formative years because, you know, I thought it was kind of cool that my dad had you know green plastic army men and. Uh, James Bond action figures when he was a kid, but he never got his hands on Star Wars. So inspired by him, I wanted to be a Star Wars toy collector. I kind of caved into the whole merchandising model that mattered to George Lucas so much. And yeah, I definitely gave him my my fair share of money uh, over the (laughs) years. So I don't know. Star Wars is just one of those uh, things that's like – uh, it brings out the collector in me as a uh, you know just someone who kind of says this is something I enjoy kind of like some people like their sports ball I just want to go back to this and watch it again and again and this is my favorite of the series so it's one of those things that shouldn't work as well as it does but it just does I that's a great thing because I think that like leads into um how it changes families like how oh. That opens up so many things. I'm going to actually get tongue-tied just trying to think of which one I want to talk about most. Uh, you know, JR was talking about being at, um, you know, a con there in Dallas. And it's because of films like this that we have cons. You know, like people go to cons. They, they, they find, um, they you know, they want to be known. They want to identify themselves as something. And they love, like, lots of people love sci-fi. They love uh, expanding, uh, dreaming, thinking, telling stories. Just this beautiful thing. And uh, I, I relate that back to myself because this film, to me, like, I remember it being introduced to it at an early age. And it sparked probably my lifelong interest in sci-fi and fantasy, like I think I have been a a nerd ever since I've seen this film, and, and I would say that I was watching episodes of Star Trek or Star Trek from a young age, and mostly Star Trek: The Next Generation when I was growing up. But those were like isolated stories, and I thought sci-fi was cool. But like the the fact that especially A New Hope um, was a like, basically a self-contained story, you know, like it it wasn't technically over. They didn't beat everybody, but it had a clear start, a beginning, and an ending. And being able to see that full narrative uh, laid out in front of me just made me excited about sci-fi with depth. And then, like I said, it sparked and you know kind of picked up steam. And then you know I became more into 
uh, Star Trek and anything that I could get my hands on. And, and I just, it, it was, it was the, it was the powder keg. It was, it was the thing behind that. And it's changed my life. Um, it's changed my imagination. It's changed how I like, much like JR, I view story and I enjoy story. And while it might not, it, you know, a new hope might not be my favorite of them, of the, of the star Wars movies. It certainly is probably the most influential, the most important, which is your favorite. Is it five? No, I think I like Jedi most. Mm. Which, <laughs> really? Yeah, which not a lot of people like the most. Because you're super into teddy bears? I love teddy bears. <laughs> you know? And that's a conversation that we'll probably have whenever we talk about Return of the Jedi. Um, but, I mean, there, there's something, there's something I think, in me that loves kind of finality and, and like, what I'd call final victory, kind of. Which is something and, that film doesn't explore very often. Which, yeah, which is something film doesn't explore very often. Uh, I, I love, I don't know, there's lots of things that I love. And I think Return of the Jedi uh, gives me lots of that. I love space battles. And I would I would watch just like the space battle part of Return of the Jedi a lot. Huh. But um, this one kind of, like I said, it just, it just, oh, hints at all that stuff that I could get. And it just made me want to learn more. Maybe want to, like... Can I can I write Star Wars stories? Can I write stuff in this universe? Like like you know, Jerry pointed out, it didn't answer all the questions. It didn't well, have to. and and I think that's why up until Disney bought it, we had such an expansive expanded expanded universe, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There was just so, it was so much room, not just in the saga, but just in the you know so many so many characters in this, especially in this first trilogy, have taken on a huge life. I mean, they're literally resurrecting Boba Fett. And he's in what three <laughs> scenes total or something like that. You know that's that's really impressive and out of the ordinary for a for a film series. Well, yeah. Well, it's not just that people love the series; it's and want to identify as the best. You know, as the biggest Star Wars nerd. To be the biggest Star Wars nerd, you have to know you know the random character and not just like know who they are, but know everything about them, yeah. and then be the person who's all about the random character. You know, like. Personally, I'm a big, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin fan. You know, <laughs> like I, I see how he was the real hero of the entire story, and so you know, I got cardboard cutouts in my room. I mean, y'all can y'all can like the Hans and the Lukes all day, but I'll stick with the real heroes. <laughs> you know, just to, you know, just to get weird nerd cred. Right, 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 right. But do we, um, do we have time for a bonus question? Oh, sure. Well, I was, it's either that or we get to say what our favorite moment was. We have hmm. a couple minutes left. Okay, we'll we'll put this out there, and you can shoot it down if you like. Did you ever have a time where you wanted to believe in the Force, and how did you handle that? Uh, I mean, I would say now is the time that I believe in the Force, because every time I walk through automatic doors, I still wave my hand. There's a film called Mallrats, in which one of the main characters repeatedly attempts to summon the Force, and I may or may not consider that person my spiritual brother. Yeah, I, I struggled. I had this uh, rebellious streak. I backslid a little while while I was like 11, 12, and 13. I wanted to believe in the Force. That's hilarious. That's it awesome. Was, uh, it was a time where I wanted to just have an influence over the prequels and where they were headed. <laughs> well, I mean, all we have to do is look uh, look back at the Bible and see that Elijah could use the Force. It was pretty great. You know, Moses was using the Force. Exactly. 
We just, we just, uh, all, all, like I said, like I said before, all we think, um, of that, of miracles and stuff now that it's just hokey religions, you know, we, we don't actually believe, uh, any of this stuff. Cause we're just like Han Solo, you know, we, we're able to say I've flown from one uh, side of the galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe that there's one all powerful voice controlling everything. Um, and that's, that's usually what we end up saying when we think about, um, you know, casting out demons or parting the Red Sea. Uh, and I would say that, you know, obviously we believe in a something that's not the force, but something that has the power that can make things that could blow up planets look insignificant. Yeah. So that's it. Um, yeah, I w- okay, we still got a minute or two. If you could do it quickly, Joe, what is your favorite thing in A New Hope? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, as a child, it was probably the cantina scene. It was just so strange to me. <laughs> it got my wheels turning. I, I love inspiration, and and I just don't understand how you pack in so many ideas into one space, mm-hmm. and it, you, it, you are furthering the character development with Luke's personality rubbing wrong with Han, and, and then you. You got Obi Wan showing sort of the first time that he he still has what it takes to you know <laughs> to, 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 to whoop some mm-hmm. tail, and then you have Chewbacca just like what is this thing? It was a great <laughs> character uh, like reinforcing moment. It was like a great crossroads moment for the first part of the film and everything that came after. And uh, yeah, I just I was really impressed by everything that goes in, into that scene. I smile every time I see it. Oh, see, that's really great too because it reminds me of how Star Wars is kind of like a like a Final Fantasy video game for anyone who's ever played them. Like you always start as this small person, and your world just gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that cantina scene just like opens up the world, right? Yeah, it opens up the entire galaxy. All right, Jr. What? Yeah, um, similarly, it's it's the scene where uh, they end up on the Death Star in the Millennium Falcon and uh, have to rescue Leia. Uh, it's Obi-Wan's final scene. It's Han's reluctant heroism, Luke's boundless mm-hmm. optimism. It's same kind of stuff. Like, it's all just there. Um, lots of good humor with the droids. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really great, it's a really great scene. Mm. Uh, and gosh, I don't even know what I'd say. I feel like I'm probably going to do a worse job at Joe of having to narrow down, like, my favorite part of this movie. But I, watching it again, like, I just really, I really enjoy the fact that it's, like, infinitely quotable. Yes. Like it's like I mean I think even like outside of the realm of individual scenes I love the fact that it's like I said almost every line is infinitely quotable and you can go up to almost anyone on the street and say almost any of these things and people will be like boom and they'll they'll quote something back at you. You know, it's just like when everyone hopped on the Skype call, you know. Uh, we we all busted out in quotes. You know, it was the first thing we did. It, this uh, this immediately recognizable thing. I just think that's really cool, and I think few films have achieved that. So, um, well, we're all out of time for this mini sode, but we'll make sure you can follow our guests on the internet. I'll make sure I have all the ways to uh, contact them and get a hold of them uh, over at Real World Theology in the show notes. So check that out at www.realworldtheology.com. Uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, remember that story is powerful and entertainment is not mindless. May the force be with you.